Turn your, your Bibles, please, to John chapter 3. Last week, we met a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin, a wealthy man, powerful man, who wanted to, to meet Jesus and had an interview with Jesus in the middle of the night. And Jesus said one of the most astonishing things to him, completely unexpected and life-changing to him and everyone after him. So let's read starting in verse 1 uh, to verse 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say it to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said to thee, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it comes and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. So, I don't even know if I could understand this in the middle of the night. I'd probably just uh, scratch my head and say, what are you talking about? It's so unusual. But we, we looked at Nicodemus last week. We looked at his, uh, at his interview with, with Jesus. We looked that he came to Jesus not even knowing why he was coming. He expected something from him. He wanted something added to his already vast knowledge some way that he could do better or have more or be blessed in a better way. He was adding uh, a weekend or an hour to his study. But Jesus doesn't uh, allow us to respond to him that way. Jesus is the Savior of mankind. And we come to him as Savior. And if you come to him as Savior and you are saved, everything is yours. The wisdom that you are lacking will be yours. Any, any uh, of God's children that pray for wisdom, he'll give them to. You will know what God wants you to know. You'll, know. you'll understand things that other people will miss. Not that you're more intelligent, but that you are seeing with God's eyes. And God is the only one who's truly seeing the world as it is. And his children that he allows to see what's going on. And the idea that the power from the Holy Spirit in a person's life is the true living. That's what life really is. To live in God is life, and everything else is an approximation of life. So Jesus really told uh, Nicodemus two things. He said, you must be born by water and the Spirit, that you, you're dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul later writes. And in order for you to to be where God would have you. You must be born again. You must be resurrected from that dead state. You must have something that no one else has. You must be purified from, from your wickedness, and you must be restored or resurrected in your person. 
those two things are totally important. And if you do not have them, you will never see the kingdom, neither will you ever enter into the kingdom. And that is frightening to think that you could be religious or disciplined or, or kind or nice and never know what God would have for you. So I went back to John 1. We went into John 1 in detail, and I remember a whole sermon just on this verse. But from 11 to 13, listen what John said, because remember, John is writing this book. John has a purpose behind his book, and he is trying to tell you something extremely important that he learned from his Savior. This is from verse 11 in chapter 1. He came unto his own. Jesus Christ came to the Jews. He came to the world. He created the world, it said just before that. He created everything, and he came unto his own, but his own received him not. There was a rejection. Jesus is rejected as the creator. People mock at that, that, he was, that he's the creator. They mock that they've been, he's been rejected, and he was rejected by his own people. He was the king of Israel. He was the Messiah, the promised uh, son of David, and his, and his people did not receive him. Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So God did something. God decided something. God did something in our lives. God did something in the life of everyone that's born of God. Some miracle, something that was outside of them. Not born of blood, not born of decision, not born of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the Father who decided what he was going to do. God did this, and he, a person that is born of God is a, mirac a miraculous thing. To be born of God is to be alive among an entire population of dead people. People who, who will never know God, never know his peace, only know his wrath. Only know what this life is and then nothing more except, except God's indignation. But the people who receive him, even to them that believe on his name. And we've talked about that for three weeks that there were many people who saw Jesus do miracles and believed on him in that capacity. But Jesus wants more than that. You can't just say, oh, yeah, Jesus, I have no problem with Jesus being God. I've heard of Jesus, whatever, Jesus, Jesus. But you must trust him. You put your heart towards him. You, you, you put your life in his hands. And when he is now responsible for you, he's responsible completely as a father, and he gives life as a child. Something, something astonishing. So what I asked myself then is instead of just going through and seeing that Nicodemus had this interview and then possibly Nicodemus was a saved man, we see several evidences that he has turned his heart to the Lord. Um, it would be wonderful to see Nicodemus in glory. But I need to ask myself first, if the first commandment was, you must be born again, then I have to ask myself, am I born again? I have to. Because if I don't, if I simply just brush it, brush it aside and go on, then 
I will never know. Do you see? John's purpose in this book was that you would know Jesus Christ and have life in his name by knowing. You can know that you have peace with God. It's not God's intent to just say, I'm going to give life to whomever I will, and you'll find out whether you have life or not at the end. That would be horrible, horrible to think you were a saved person and come to glory and not know God as Savior, only know him as judge. The Bible is the, Bible is the kindest thing that's ever been produced in this, among mankind because God himself is allowing people to have total peace with him, not just fear him. And most of the world, of course, doesn't fear him at all. But those that fear him, that the, by grace... He taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Do you understand that the Bible is here as God speaking to us directly and he wants us to know that we might have rest in our hearts. Can you imagine a situation where you have total, complete and full knowledge that God has got you and that nothing you can do can change that? Well, you'll live. Do you see, you'll actually live in this life. You will do, you will work, you will do great things. Because if I truly knew that God loved me truly, Martin Luther said, if I knew that God loved me truly, I would stand on my head for joy. Truly, truly know that you're safe. That is God's intention. He does not want you to be flippy-floppy. He wants you to absolutely know. And that knowledge is not a fake knowledge. It is not a knowledge that you will go to the, to the throne and be rejected. It is a knowledge that you can take now forever and be fine and be safe and live to be lived, to be alive. So then you look at the epistles of John. Because John wrote this gospel. He also book, wrote the book of Revelation. But in between those two books, he wrote letters that are incorporated into the, into, the, into the Bible. And when you get to the five chapter book of 1 John, every single chapter has, has verses where it's, if you are born of God, this is true of you. If you are born of God, if you are, have been born again, then here is the evidence that you have been born again. So there are six major verses that start or end. Though that person who is born of God or that person who is born again, that person who is regenerated, that person who is not only born once but born twice, this is true of them. And then you can test yourself. You can test yourself. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scare you today. I scared myself today. I scared myself all week. Because do I see these things in me? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And let me comfort you first. The Holy Spirit can worry you. I'll comfort you. I've never seen all of these equally in any person that I've ever met. I don't believe that they're equal and equally strong in every person except the Lord Jesus. But these are marks of a Christian. These are marks that you have life. And you can say, do I have this in a small measure? Do I have it? Is it so faint that nobody would know? I'd have to have a blood test to see if I've got this. 
okay? There are parts of these verses that you would have to give me a blood test and, the, and wait for the lab results before I would know for sure if this was true of me. Only God can see what he, I can't see. You have to remember, God builds mountains under the Atlantic Ocean. There is a line of mountains 9,000 miles long under the Atlantic Ocean that no one's ever looked at, but God did it. And he can build faith in me. He can build faith in you. And he can sanctify us. He can work on us to where there's evidence in our life. And I had to see, as I was looking at these six verses, I included eight, but I put them into six places. That as I look and I go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't see it. I can't see this in my life. I really had to look backwards. I had to stand where I am and look back at my back life. And then I could say, ah, yeah, yeah, I'm different. Yeah, it's true. Maybe it's not strong enough for you to see. Maybe other people will not see that as the first thing that they ever remember. But when they look at me at the end, they're going to see me pure as gold. God will get us all the way, and he will look like the Lord Jesus when you meet him. When you see him and you see and you understand what you are looking at, you will be like him. By the way, that's John also. John really had one point. John was so transformed by being born again that all of his work is towards this end. His gospel, his revelation, and his letters are all his rebirth that Jesus did something in his heart that he cannot imagine and doesn't understand. So let's look at them, okay? Let's look at them. Only the only believers have these six characteristics. So I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to do a rhetorical kind of a speech thing and ask you at the end of every six, does the apostle agree with you? Do you are you born again? I mean, I think that would probably make for a good speech, but I'm not going to do it, okay? But in the back of your head, you really should say, is this true of me? Would the apostle agree with me? that this is true of me, am I born again? That's what I'm going to say. In the back of my head, that's what I'm going to say. All right, so let's look at the first one. I, don't, I took these kind of out of order. All of them are from 1 John. Um, there's five chapters in 1 John, and I pulled them from various, various places. The first one I picked was 1 John 3, verse 9. Okay? Um, would you read this with me? I'm going to read the, the head. I know I don't do that normally, but I'm going to read just this verse together, all of us audibly, and then we'll go on to it. Whosoever is born of God doth not uh, commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Okay? I picked the scariest verse first so that it would be over fastest. Okay? This is the most terrifying verse in, in 1 John to me. When I read this the first time, I was gripped because... Because it says, whoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And then I just say, well, it's done for me because I commit sin. I commit sin every day. I know I do. I know that I do. So I must not be saved because I commit sin. But when you dig for this, when you dig at it, what it's saying is a person who is born of God is not habitually sinning. It's not the mark of them. It's not what makes them them. You will sin until you go to glory. I will have to say that. And it's a painful statement. To a person who truly loves God, 
For me to say you will sin every day until you meet Jesus is like a crush to you because I don't want it. I hate it more than I hate anything. and I would rather kill it if I could. If I could kill just the parts of me that would have sin, but I would have to all die because every part of me has sin. And I do not live up to God's expectation. I don't love him as I should. And I do sin. But if you look at, him, if you look at this, John is not just cruel. John spends verse after verse after verse basically supporting him and saying, it is the habit of your mind. Is it everything that marks you? Is it what used to be? To where you would sin and never make a thought of it. It wouldn't bother you at all. That there wouldn't be anything. It was full-minded sin. It was full-hearted sin. I don't think that that's a mark of a believer. There is something that's happened to a believer when you were saved. That that you will sin, but there's no joy to it at all anymore. In fact, I've seen people right after they're saved immediately try to sin again and again and again to feel what they once felt. And all they feel is the misery. All they feel is that it's no longer fun. It's no longer what they want. They're, they've got an allergy to it. There's something in their heart now that they will never, ever enjoy what they once enjoyed. Even if they try really hard. Or even if they have an addiction that they can never break and they know that it's wrong, there's no joy to it. There's no rest in it. There's, no, there's nothing to them that used to have it. They're grieved. When I sin, I'm grieved. My heart grieves. It's, it's not just, it's not a, oh, whatever. It's a, it's a deep ache that I've offended God. I've offended God after knowing that he loves me. That's hard. It's, a person who is born of God resents the sin that's in their heart. They can't stand it. They gag at the thought of it. It's something averse. They have an aversion to it. And the, the main desire of, of, a, of a child of God is to be free from it. That's all that you want. You pant after holiness. Now, when I, when I teach the kids or when I teach the teenagers even, I just say, here is your mark. Are you a saved person? Do you desire to be holy? That's all I say. That's it. Do you desire it? Do you have a taste for it? Do you have a hunger for it? The, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you, do, you, do you pant for it? It's not, do you have it? But do you want it? Do you want to be like God? That's a mark that you're born again. It, and, and it's interesting that it's not the evidence of being born again is being like God. Now, later you will be like God. You will be as clean as God. You, all that will be gone. Satan will be gone in a lake of fire forever and ever. There will be nothing to tempt you, nothing to taunt you, nothing to strain you. There will be no demons in your ear reminding of who you were. You will never never entertain the idea that you are displeasing God when, in fact, you're pleasing him. You won't believe the lies because the lies will be gone. You will be like God. But as it is right now, I can't hate it. I realize that it's always with me. And I'm disgusted by it, and I'm grieved by it, and I despise it. Do you see? This is from 1 John 1.8. Now, I told you that John doesn't just tell you that you, you can't be a sinner, because then no one would be sent. No, if you're a sinner, you're not a Christian, because then there are no Christians. This is 1 John 1.8, first chapter. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you say you're not a sinner, if, and, and I know that there are some Christian denominations who claim that they have never sinned in 30 years, I, I just kind of smile at that because I know that I've sinned, and, I, and I've been with these people when they've sinned, so I know they've sinned too. But it, it's the idea that I hate the sin. It's not, it's, it's not the habit of my life anymore. I, I want to be godly. That's a mark of a Christian. And, and that's, that's great comfort to me. James 3.2 is picking this up. For in many things we offend all. In many things. This is, a, this, is the, this is the book that is about you showing your faith by your actions. This is what James said. That was the ba- basically, you have faith, show it. Show it in how you live. But he knows we're all, we offend all the time. I offend the holiness of God all the time. But I'm saved. Do you see it? A person who is, a person who is saved is saved from the, not just the, the judgment of his sin, but is saved from the fact that the sin really can't t- t- touch him. It can taunt him. It can worry him, but it can't molest him anymore. It's, there's a break. There was a break that sin was crucified to me. This is what Jonathan read. The world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. There has been a break there. The blood of Christ did something for me. Okay, So we, uh, that person can honestly say it brings him grief and sorrow, and he wishes that it wasn't there. That's the mark. So in my mind, I'm just saying, do I see this? Do I long for purity? Do I long for holiness? Do I want what Jesus has more than what I once thought was awesome? And that's the mark. The person who can say yes has evidence that they're saved. Let's look at the second one. 1 John 5, verse 1. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him and that begat loveth him that also is begotten of him. So if I believe that Jesus is the Christ, then I, that's an evidence that I'm born of God. So I have to say, is Jesus my only hope? Or do I have lots of hopes? Is there other things that I can put my faith on? If I knew Jesus would reject me, is there a plan B? And if I cannot think of a plan B, that's evidence that I, have, that I have been born of God. There's an evidence there. So is there anything else? Can I say, well, I'll just be very good. I'll be so good that when I'm judged, God will say, look at all those wonderful things you did. What a, what a, what a giving person you are. Uh, maybe you should go to heaven even though you didn't have a Savior. I, I just know better. I know that Jesus is the only Savior. There is no other of his kind. There's none other like him. There is no other place to go. There's one port of safety only, only one. And if Jesus Christ rejects me, then I'm rejected. I, I don't have anywhere else to go. The people were leaving Jesus by droves because he taught hard things. And he looked at his disciples and he said, hmm, are you leaving too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. There's no other place to go. We can't go anywhere. There, we don't have another place. There's one Savior, and you are him. 
There is nothing else. So do I believe that Jesus is the only Savior? Well, then I have to ask myself further, okay? Is, do I believe that Jesus is worthy to be my Savior? Because if I'm putting all of my hope in one place, I want to make sure that that is the one that I, that's right. Is Jesus worthy to be my Savior? And then you look at his life. You look at his life. His life was flawless. And it wasn't flawless according to the, to the goody-goody religious people. They found all kinds of fault with him. But what you looked at in terms of what God expected of men, there is nothing that God expected of men that Jesus wasn't. He was the, he was the lamb that was, that was taken apart and put beside the door and watched he was watched for three years by everybody, by his enemies, by his friends, by God. God watched him and saw that he was qualified to be the victim. And I have to ask, is Jesus qualified to be my Savior? Because if I must have a Savior, if I cannot save myself and must have a Savior, is he the Savior? A believer would say yes. Jesus Christ of Nazareth as depicted in the Bible, is the Savior of men. And I can put all of my trust in him. Then I ask myself, am I, is Jesus willing to be my Savior? Because often you're not sure. You think, well, Jesus saves people, but he won't save me. I, if it's happened in my mind, it's happened in your mind. I know it. He, he saved other people. I know all these nice people that Jesus obviously has saved, but... I know the real me, and Jesus won't save me. He knows me too well. And I just have to say, is there anybody that Jesus ever threw away? Is there ever a smoking flax that he, that he snuffed out? Was there ever a broken reed that he broke off? And the answer is no. He's willing to be my Savior. And I have to know that he's willing. Do you see why he did not commit himself to the people who only saw him do a, do a miracle? That wasn't enough. You must look into the Lord Jesus. The gospel must be preached to you repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. As you see who Jesus is, you recognize he can be trusted. You recognize that you're commanded and you put your trust in him because he's worthy of that trust. Trusting something that's trustworthy, that is what faith is. <clears throat> Do I believe that Jesus has invited me? The next thing I wrote down. Did Jesus invite me? Or is Jesus only saving the good people? Like, I don't consider myself one of those good people. But is he only saving the good people? Or did he invite me? Can I come? So I just, I just started writing with my pen. And I was like, he's the savior of men. I'm a man. Period. Whosoever wants to come, let him come. I'm like, that's me. I'm me. I can come. Do I believe that all of God's wrath was poured upon Jesus' head? Do I believe that all of his wrath, every bit of it, everything that he will pour upon a sinner in hell, all of it, countless more, because it's every sinner in all hell forever, all of it was poured upon Jesus' head. Do I believe that God did that to him? Do I believe that that's even possible, that God would destroy God so that he could save me? I have to believe that because that's what the gospel says. The gospel is that God destroyed Jesus Christ so that he did not destroy me. That's the gospel.
Do I believe that? Do I believe that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice when he was on the cross? Do I believe that it was accepted? The believer believes that. That's what a child of God believes because that is how you were saved. You're looking upon Jesus as the Savior. This verse says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Do I believe it? Then that is interesting. Now, do I have doubts? Yes. Do I doubt that I even have anything to do with God? Yes, I do. There's many times. But do you see that that's what preaching the gospel does? Preaching the gospel brings you back again and again to the truth. The truth that's true. The truth that's not what you made up. You did not make it up. This is God's idea. And when I take myself all the way through the gospel, at the end of that, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I know that God has saved my soul. But I tell you, your fears and your doubts is not a lack of evidence that you love God. Do you believe that he is the Savior in what that means? Then that's evidence that you're born again. That that, can you say that to yourself? Now, I tell you, this is two verses. There should already be rejoicing in your heart or dread fear. There should already be dread fear. I'm talking about wet your pants fear. Because if you do not see anything in your heart, then you are damned. That's what it means. That you don't know how long that is. You don't know what misery that is. And Jesus took you from that, delivered you from that. If you see that there's even the slightest glimmer of a slightest little bit of smoke on the top of that candle, there's evidence that you're born again. That's rejoicing to a believer because that says, oh my, oh my God, you saved my soul. Stand on your head. Stand on your head. He knows your fears. He knows your doubts. He understands. He knows that you're made of dust. He knows that you have, have grown up around people who don't even know him. And that you've seen it whip, wishy-washy, flippy-floppy all your life. But God is big, and he's, he knows what kindness looks like to his children. If you would show kindness to your children, do you think God would not show kindness to you? That's what I'm talking to myself. Let's look at the next one. John, 1 John 2, verse 29. Will you read it with me, please? If ye know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doth righteousness is born of him. Okay? A regenerated person wants to live a holy life. Wants to. That that's what he wants. I want to be sanctified. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like I once was. I want to reject that. Your repentance is continuous. Repent again and again and again. Every time you're just continuously repenting. I don't want that. I want Jesus. I don't want what I once wanted. I do not want it. I want Jesus. So you continuously point your face to, to Christ. You, the, you, I want to do the things that please him, and I don't want to do the things that displease him. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who doeth righteousness is born of him. He knows that even though there's constantly a sin nature in me and I'm battling with it, okay, I, I just say I'm not what I once was. I'm not what I need to be. I'm not what I will be. But I'm not what I used to be. There's comfort there. 
There's comfort. If you can see that, then what's happening little by little is you're grabbing and you have now, you're holding to the cross. And it's not a fake, it's not a fake testimony. It's real. That's what faith is. You're holding to the cross, your only hope, and you're holding it with joy. You can hold that cross with joy even to your death. You can hold it with joy. Let's look at the next one. This is 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love uh, is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. So you want to you know if you're born again? Love comes from your heart. Now, see, this is scary because you're like, I don't know. I don't see any love coming from my heart, and most people don't either. But you have to say, is it really there? And I go back to what I said at the very beginning. Do you see this in every person that you know? Do you see it to where that's the first thing you say? What a loving person. You will see it. You will say it. Before eternity is done, you'll say it. It'll be all that you can say because it will be fully fruited tree. It won't be a little, a little puny sapling. And that may what you see when you look in the mirror is a little puny withered sapling. But you may see a lush, gorgeous, fruit-laden tree. But, beloved, let us love one another. Now, do you understand how he wrote it? John's not snarky. John didn't say, if you're saved, you'd be loving. John said, let us love one another. He's prompting it. He's evoking it. He's stirring it. He's saying, let's do it. Let's start now. Let's love people the way they need to be loved. Let's love people at our own self-sacrifice. Let's love people. When you ask how you are, expect an answer. Build whatever trust that means until you get that answer to where when someone says, how are you? You tell them. You don't just say fine. You don't just say fine. The first time that a Christian asked me how I was and I said fine and they just stared me down until I was so uncomfortable that I just wanted to die, that was... That was remarkable because how many millions and billions and zillions of times have you ever said fine when you weren't fine? But you didn't trust that person enough to really tell them because you didn't really think that they loved you. Well, prove it. Prove it to each other that you love each other. Prove it. I, I just think it's, it's so strong that, in, that this is actually said twice. It's said this way, let us love God, for he that loves is born of God. But it actually is said backwards. This is 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abideth in death. Do you see it's the same? This is the same thing. He's saying it twice. He's saying love is the key. Do you truly love? Do you feel truly loved? Maybe not. But are you truly loving? That's your indication that you are born again. And if you do not love your brother, you are fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. Your testimony is false. You have no hope of heaven. If you, if you are truly trying to trap someone or trick someone or use someone or use, use a church influence in order to destroy someone else, then you are a fraud. 
You're a fraud, and you will be seen to be a fraud. You will be forever in God's wrath. But to love someone truly takes yourself to do it. You have to spend yourself, and that's a hard, hard lesson. I had to look, actually looked in the mirror for this one, stared my eyeballs. I'm like, do I love, really? I just have to trust that I love. I just have to trust. I have to trust. The next one is 1 John 5.18. For we know that what, whoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten keeps himself. Now, we already saw the doesn't sin. We already talked about that. But he keeps his soul. Uh, and that wicked one touches him not. So a person who's born again cares, really cares about his soul. Really cares. It is not an issue of yawn, yawn. It's not an issue of talk to the hand. This is something that is key important to them. Key importance. The most importance is your soul. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What does it matter? What does it matter? What what does it matter that a bunch of nice people thought you went to heaven when you went to hell? What does it matter? That your cell is important and that you know that you're living in enemy territory, that you know that you're living in, in danger and you have to keep your armor on, that you can be trapped, that you can be tricked, that you can lose something important to you because of where you live and how you live and among whom you live, that you care about your soul, that, you're important, that you pray for yourself, that you're guarded, that you're prayed up, that you're read up, that, you're, that, you, that God might that I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I don't just not want to sin, but I don't even want to do the things that lead to sin. I want to keep myself guarded. That's what keep means. Guard it like, a, like Fort Knox, that it, your soul is the most important thing that exists. It is forever, and you are in charge of it. And a person who is born again cares, cares. You look at a person like Jacob, good grief, there's no worser, worser, worser in the whole Bible. He was a scoundrel. What was the only redeeming quality that Jacob had? He cared about his soul. (laughs) That's it. I can't think of, I can't see anything else. But he cared what God said. He cared. That's a person, that's a mark that he belongs to God. And it's interesting that Jacob's name is changed from Jacob to Israel, which is a prince with God that God sees him as a prince. And you're like, who? Jacob, the Jacob I read about? And it's me. So a person who is born again keeps himself. And here's the last one. Now this is, a, this is a, I, I picked the two worst ones for the ends. The first one was the scary one, and this one seems to be impossible. So see, see if you have any evidence of this in your heart. This is 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Now, have you overcome the world? You can't just say, no, I haven't overcome the world all. It's just a big bunch of malarkey. No, as my faith, faith. That really is my question. Is what I'm holding on to really faith, or is it just somehow like wishful thinking or whatever am i truly leaning am i truly trusting is all of my weight on jesus or not that's what faith is is all my weight there 
Am I trying to do two different things, or is all my weight on generate? I don't think like the rest of the world. A regenerated person is no longer impressed with the way the world thinks. The things the world loves, I'm bored with anymore. And I'm not even godly godly. I believe my soul is saved. I believe my soul is saved. But I'm just, the things that I used to love, I couldn't care less about. I couldn't care less. You can't even force me to watch television. There's no, I don't have any interest in it. Somehow it's different. The toys have lost their fun. And I don't know what to say. And it's not a matter that you look at each other and you're better than me and I'm better than him or whatever. It doesn't work that way. In a person who is looking, that's overcoming the world, people are becoming smaller to that person. And God is becoming bigger. That you care what God thinks of you more than you care of what the world thinks of you. That is a mark. Now, I, have to, I just have to hold on to that. Is it true of me? Oh, I don't know. Is my faith overcoming the world? I don't know. I thought at the end, as we, as we close today, what do I do? Do we do faith is the victory that overcomes the world? Because we know that song. That's from this verse. But I said, no. I'm going to do blessed assurance Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine. So let's pray, and then we'll sing in joy. Holy Spirit, we know that you're powerful. We know that you're powerful enough to break us into dust in judgment. And you, we know that you can break our jaw in mercy, that we might turn to your uh, Savior that you've provided for us. We ask that you would give us great grace. And I pr pray for every trusting soul that you would make them comfortable, that they would leave here with delight and full heart of comfort, that they believe that Jesus is theirs. And for every soul that is, not, that is troubled, first I would ask that you would trouble them. Make them so uncomfortable that they would never be able to sleep or eat until they come to the Savior. And I thank you that you are wonderful, wonderful beyond our belief. Would you accept our rejoicing today as worship? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.